Welcome to Across the Pond. My name is Chris Lawson and I'm joined from Across the Pond by Samuel Monny. Say hello, Sam. Hey, Chris. How are you doing? You all right? I'm doing all right. I'm always excited in and ahead of every episode. So this week's another corker, I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. And we're, we're joined by another very special guest, a good friend of mine, actually, full disclosure, a guy called Nick Bradley. We get into it, but we've known each other for for years now, since we were a marketing director in an organization called EMAP, now called Bauer, which was a sort of a, a global magazine publisher, now sort of digital publisher as well. Nick's gone on to be a business growth expert working across the globe, actually. And he works with entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors, and aims to transform good companies into great ones. You'll gather from his accent, originally from Australia. He's also rather depressingly done 67 marathons and 24 ultra marathons. So yeah, he's pretty fit, let's say that anyway. Um, So hey, Nick. (laughs) Do you know what? I was sitting there listening to that, and I'm thinking, you know, it's it's funny when you hear your profile read back to you, <laughs> right? Because, you know, we can get into all of that today. You know, you called it out, Chris. You know, we've been mates for 20-odd years. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in the UK where I live now since 2003, and we met around that time, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, you know, it's been interesting to kind of just to see our collective journeys as we've navigated different things that have happened. And it's great to meet you, Samuel. You know, really great to be on your show and Hopefully, I can uh, offer some help, some guidance, some insights to all your listeners today. Great stuff. Well, you've focused your efforts on that startup and scale-up sector. And and why is that? Why is that sector such of interest to you? And what have you really sort of seen over the last sort of few years that have made you think, wow, this is just a sector I need to be a long part of? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it was a relatively deep question that I asked myself to, to be able to make that choice. Right. It wasn't it wasn't that I looked at it from the perspective of, hey, like, you know, there's an opportunity here to create businesses off the back of uh, of that particular part of the entrepreneurial journey. It, what, what it came down to, and this is quite interesting having the conversation with you, Chris, because, you you know, you saw me a number of years ago and you now see me what I'm doing now. And, and what I did is I, I realized that what I was achieving within the world of corporate, you know, in some of those quite senior positions, it wasn't really what I wanted to do longer term. And partly that was because I felt contained. I didn't feel like I could really kind of grow with with too much constraint around me. And I thought that I could do some bigger things. And what it came down to was I thought, you know, the reason that I'm doing this, the reason that I've got, you know, a six-figure job and all that is I'm scared to really try and do anything else. And then I sort of thought, well, if I live my whole life like that, at what point am I going to regret that? So the, the reason I focus now on startup and scale up is I actually looked back over my career, you know, spent a lot of time really asking these questions and said, what have I really done, right? What have I really done? What am I good at? What have I achieved? You know, what's my experience? And, and it wasn't the practical things like, you know, we share a, a background in marketing. It was more that I was being brought into situations that weren't working. That could be for multiple reasons. It could be the wrong people in the wrong seats. It could be uh, processes. It could be the culture. And, and I would have to come into those situations and fix them. So I wasn't myself what I would call classically entrepreneurial. You know, I wasn't the creative that would come up with the startup idea, like a new magazine or something like that. Mm. But I could go in there and make something that someone else had started significantly better. By knowing that, I thought, okay, well, now how can I create a business and a series of businesses off that expertise? And, and that's what I've done since. And the headline is this, people who start businesses 
are not necessarily the best at scaling them. Mm. And the reason for that is it takes a very, very different skill set and mindset. And where I come in is usually at that phase of business where they've run out of ideas and they need an injection of, of my expertise to be able to, to grow again and then have their business performing at the level that they would like it to. And, and what changes have you seen in the sector? Yeah, well, I think more and more people are understanding that entrepreneurship, if we, if we keep it as broad as possible, is a viable place to play, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what we're seeing in the last 12 months with everything that's happened with COVID and all that sort of stuff is, is job security that we may have thought existed 10, 20 years ago doesn't really exist in the same way. And, and therefore, you have to take some responsibility for generating your own income as opposed to just existing with a, with a massive salary. And that personally hit me a couple of times. You know, I was fired from some of my corporate gigs. And when that happened, it was extremely painful. And every time it happened, you know, there was the fear of, you know, how am I going to pay a mortgage, all that sort of thing. So, so the big change I'm seeing is more and more people are starting to become self-employed, are starting to create businesses where they are the owner, you know, the CEO, the business leader. And therefore, more and more people are coming into my world now going, how the hell do you do this, Nick? You know, what do I need to have in place to increase the chances that this is going to work? Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I mean, all three of us are in that, that um, category, I think. And the tech industry was there maybe five, ten years ago. So I think it's not just around a uh, sort of thinking about it from an entrepreneur perspective. It's also functional expertise is still looking at that as well, I think. Yeah, and a lot of people struggle, and I, and I get this because I went through this initially, and I had to get some coaching and mentoring on it because I, I I sort of didn't know how to do it myself to some extent. But the, the biggest fear that people have when they go out by themselves and they try and do something which is without the parachute of employment, you know, that safety net, is they don't know how they're going to win business, and they're they're worried that they're not going to get clients. And, and you know, th- th- I totally get that. By the way, you know, a lot of people kind of have that fear all the time because they haven't built a system and they haven't really built a process or a strategy around how to do that effectively. So it becomes predictable. Now, I was in that position a while back. I got, as I said, coached by some pretty outstanding individuals, and then I built a whole ecosystem around that to the point now where it's not even a concern anymore and and is now even so predictable that we can forecast probably for the next 18 months what's going to happen but i think that's one of the reasons and once you can get past that fear if i said to someone you know what if you didn't have to worry about winning business if if i said to you you're going to have you know triple your salary for the next you know couple of years would you quit your job today i would Mm. bet that most people would Mm -hmm. not everyone but i think a lot of people would make that decision you know, you said something there, which obviously causes a bit of conflict or dissonance in terms of quitting something today. That fear, that that barrier to doing, must be must be huge. So, is that have you seen that change in people? Have you seen that change in yourself? Yeah, I mean, what I did, and again, I'm very transparent with these sort of conversations because I think people can learn from the from the journey. Is when I decided to build what I've built now. And I've got seven separate companies now, and there's going to be three new companies brought into our group within the next year. And, and I can explain what they all are, but it's, it's more the point of having them and how I created it, which is the interesting piece. So I was employed by a private equity firm a few years back now. And it wasn't, you know, I was making good money, you know, good, good six figures, you know, bonuses, the idea of sell the business. And I would have had, you know, a decent chunk of equity from that. But I wasn't comfortable with 
the the level of control that was was over me. I wanted freedom, right? That was probably my highest value, and I I, I just didn't agree with some of the decisions. But because I needed the income, right, I was forced to say yes to things. Mm. So this is what I did. I I went away and I went to an event. Chris knows about this. I went and put myself in the Tony Robbins event for four days in Chicago on the advice of a very good friend. And he said, you've just got to go and work on your mindset. So I came back. I hired a coach. I started my podcast. Underneath that podcast, I created a number of income streams where I didn't have to do anything realistically, but I had other people doing stuff for me. And so therefore, I was taking like a semi-passive income. Mm-hmm. The podcast got more and more popular, right? And that's a, that's a story in its own right. And then about nine months after launching the podcast, and it was starting to heat up anyway, I got called into the private equity firm's office and the chairman of the business that I was the CEO of and I was running called me in and said, this is, this is it, Nick. Enough is enough, right? You now have to quit the podcast. <laughs> and so here's the, here's, the, here's the punchline. You ready? So in my little bag... I had a little white envelope that I'd written six months before. And I said, that's it. I was waiting for this day. I'm done. Now, the way to describe this, and then I'll, then I'll shut up, is it's a little bit, if you've ever done a house extension where you're kind of putting on, I don't know, a loft, a loft room or something out the back, right? And the, the builders build that before they knock through. So the thing's built and then they knock through and then all of a sudden you've got like this, you know, more space in your house. I effectively was building the extension right, <laughs> or the, right. the outbuilding and the knock through, if you like, was the day that I handed in my notice. So the, the pre-story is I, I changed my LinkedIn profile and I was talking about the podcast. At this stage, the podcast had reached number one in the UK business charts, number 17 in the US and was about 100,000 downloads, right? So, you know, it had some good success. I had fans, if you want to call it that, right? <laughs> and and the first conversation, which was about a month before I actually resigned, they said, oh, listen, you know, you've changed your LinkedIn profile. It doesn't say anything about the company that you're working for, which is a fair point. And yeah. uh, you have to change it. And I was like, well, it's my kind of social media, right? <laughs> so I'll just do what I want. So that was, the, that was the nice conversation. So then when they pulled me in on this day I resigned, there was like three of them there, a chairman and, and a couple of the kind of private equity partners. And they tried to do the kind of strong arm tactic. Like, you know, pacing, frame control, you know, you will do this. You are you are ours sort of thing. And I just sat there. And I remember I was just smiling. I was actually sitting back in my chair looking like an absolute dick, right? Because I was like, yeah, whatever, right, sort of thing. And that, that annoyed them even more. And so I kind of let it go on a bit. And they had all these different terms where they were going to change my, my uh, remuneration structure. They were going to do all these threats. So it was really quite fun. And then I just let them go, let them go. And and they expected me at the end to kind of like literally sort of, you know, bend over yeah. and say, oh, please, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, guys. And then I just stood up and said, that's really interesting, fellas. Right. Really cool. Here you go. I'm out. And that's it. And I just walked out the room. And what's funny is I didn't actually have another conversation. This is true. Mm. With my chairman ever again. They put me on garden leave. I had a six-month notice. They were very clear that I couldn't work. I could do the podcast, but I couldn't work. So I just had other people employed in my various business interests doing stuff for me over that time. Wow. 
I, I like the fact that you could still podcast though. So <laughs> they didn't take away your <laughs> God. They didn't take away the motor. It's like, ah, did you not? Li- did you not realize that that's the thing that was actually? Did, did you not listen to the podcast? <laughs> actually, that's a, that would be a brilliant one if you did a couple of episodes dedicated to certain in- individuals just to oh, see. Oh God! If they were listening. <laughs> Do you know what? I probably have. I probably have um, Samuel, but they're kind of interwoven with other stories because i do i do share i think the reason the podcast has been successful is because i share all of this i don't i don't throw anyone under the bus but i talk about the 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 transition yeah and and i love the stories that you're sharing there and i I know this linkedin thing is it's really a trigger for a lot of people Uh, a lot of organizations lots of companies in terms of getting above your station you're not the first podcaster to tell me that there came to be a moment with a senior leader saying hey what's all this podcasting stuff you're doing you're getting too big for your your boots and so for our audience out there don't be don't you know don't be dissuaded from creating and doing your thing because it's it does really have an impact and clearly people notice and we'd love to hear a bit more about you your your journey when you said hey work you were told to work on your mindset do you mind sharing a bit more about that so it it came from a lot one of the things that I probably didn't appreciate as much as I do now is people tend to make decisions usually from points of you know severe pain or severe pleasure so what I mean by that is if you if you're kind of in the middle if it's kind of not that great but it's not that bad you're kind of in this zone of mediocrity. And a lot of people live within that zone. It can often be called a comfort zone because there's not enough impetus to make change, right? And that's and that's the best example I can give of that for people listening is when people are in a job, they know they hate the job, they're getting paid, it's not great, you know, it's not bad, it's safe. So they they do that and all of a sudden 20 years of their life is gone, right? That, that That's a very common thing. So what happened to me, and, and I'll give you the story, is, is I... I was doing a number of different deals with private equity firms, and this was leading up probably over about a three or four year period. And I was getting increasingly frustrated, angry with with the decisions that I was making. I, I just hated it. Right, I couldn't stand it. And and to be, if I really go back, it was probably happening for more longer than that. But I was the guy who was stuck in this situation. And then something full on happened. So my father came back into my life. And he left our family when he was two, when I was two, sorry. And so he came back when I was, let's say, 35, 36. So I hadn't mm. seen him or even have any real memory of him for like 34 years. Wow. And he came back in. And of course, I'd heard all the stories, the character assassination stories. And he wasn't, he was nothing like that, right? He was a very successful entrepreneur. He was a millionaire in his late 30s. He lost everything in his early 40s because he was involved. His business was actually next to the Turkish consulate bombing in Australia, which was in Collins Street in Melbourne. No insurance when there's a terrorist attack. This is obviously, yeah, crazy. He lost everything. And then he had to kind of work for his mate as a sales director. And then he had an idea that he found and he started another business and he became a millionaire again in his 50s. Wow. Yeah. And I knew nothing, right? I knew none of this. And and so he came back into my life for about three years. And and I, I realized all of a sudden that the frustration that I was feeling in these employed jobs, these corporate jobs where I was making decisions were really repressing the fact that I had this kind of more entrepreneurial streak in me. And it made sense all of a sudden. And then, then right, this is the full on bit. He came into my life and then he died very quickly of cancer, like super quick, like within four months of diagnosis. And about three weeks before I went to the Tony Robbins gig, I went to bed one night and I cracked all the teeth in the right side of my jaw, right? The the sort of two or three big sort of molars at the back. I I clenched down through my sleep and literally I woke up with like shards of teeth in my mouth. 
So I took some painkillers, didn't really get back to sleep, went to the doctor the next day, and then I saw the dentist in the morning, the late morning. And they just said, listen, you've, you've literally gone to bed and with, with whatever stress is going through your body right now, you have broken your teeth. Right? Wow. So th- this was, I mean, this is the best thing that could ever happen to me, right, in, in essence, because what it was was basically – I wasn't going to change what was going on. I wasn't strong enough to do it. I needed a physical event to to force me into action. That's what I meant by the pain and pleasure. Yeah, that's quite shocking, but also seems to have been renewing. Listen, it was the best thing that could ever happen. I wasn't going to take the required action by myself for various reasons. I needed a number of events to, to line up. All of those things had to happen in sequence, I think, for me to then change trajectory. You know, and that's how I explain it. But since I've done that, and what I've done since in the space of a few years, I, I would never have ever imagined it beforehand. And I think the, the fascinating thing there is about what events it takes in order for people to to move on with their lives in a in a more positive um, outlook or or direction. And and also this point about self expression as well. The fact that you've set yourself up and and are as a, a prolific podcaster now i mean you're what got two maybe three podcasts a week i think i'm interested to explore that that point about storytelling it's something sam and i come back to time and time again and about how that weaves into a personal brand and the fact that that personal brand has to be part about work and part about how you are it'd be really interesting just hear your thoughts on that there are some interesting lessons here i think in terms of how marketing is changing as well and, and how I think it has fundamentally changed in various ways. So, so, so what, I, what I realized is I needed to step into something that I was afraid of for so long, right? I, ne- I needed to take control of what I wanted to be and have more purpose and intent around my life, right? Because mm-hmm. that was the thing that was calling me. But I had no idea how to do it. So I thought, well, first and foremost, I will work out where I can add value. So I looked back over my career and worked out what I really could help with, which is, you know, going into complex situations, uh, usually businesses or situations within businesses that need an injection of different thinking, energy, pace, grit, resilience, all those different things. And then I thought, well, okay, what really is that? And and for me, it's, it's the part of business growth, which is the scaling up phase. Mm. So I, I really play in the area where a startup goes into a scale up. And that's normally defined by two things. It's defined by the ability to build teams and to lead people effectively. So I thought, well, that's where I'm going to play. And then I thought, well, how the hell am I going to get that out there? Yeah. And so I I found a mentor and I got in touch with him and said, this is what I want to do. And I I didn't really overthink podcasting at all. It it, it kind of just, well, what do I want to do? I don't really like writing. I can speak forever, as you can probably tell from this podcast. And, and I thought, you know what, well, I'm going to try and share my story through my voice and I'm going to teach people everything I've learned from 25 years of solving complex problems, growing, scaling, everything, right? And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to get that out there. And so I created a brand. The brand I created first was Scale Up Your Business. Uh, and in terms of my personal brands, I did two separate things. And this is quite interesting for people, I think, who, are, who want to sort of venture into this world. Mm. I, I was coached to sort of say, when you create your personal brand, you've got to be very, very clear, like any brand, what you stand for and against. And, you know, that's not always saying what everyone expects you to say, right? So that's the first bit. Second bit is you've got to be consistent. 
right? You've got to be consistent with your message because like all brands, you know, one of the best definitions I've ever heard is that they're a promise of consistency. And when they're inconsistent, that's when people start to mistrust them and all that. And then the third part was when you create a personal brand, it needs to be 70% who you are today, your values, your standards, where you are in life, 20% who you're going to be in three years' time. So it's about understanding what direction you're going. And then 10% what your audience expects you to be. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever your ideal avatar, client, brand archetype is. So like, you know, and those three points are probably not that dissimilar when you think about business brands. But when you relate it to yourself, you've got to ask some deeper questions to get to that. You know, whoever your ideal avatar, client, brand archetype is. So like, you know, and those three points are probably not that dissimilar when you think about business brands. But when you relate it to yourself, you've got to ask some deeper questions to get to that. So that's how I did it. And I went away and built, built my brand off, off those, those various questions. You've said a lot and as you know, shared a lot, a lot of stories which go deep. There's, there's loss, there's tragedy, there's renewal, there's rebirth. But throughout that, there's this energy and passion and vibrancy that you have when, you, when you're speaking. And for us, mentoring and nurturing talent is dear to all our hearts. And you've talked a little bit about, about that in, in terms of what you do in coaching. But talk, talk, talk us through you know, what, what that means to you, this whole nurturing others, mentoring, coaching. Yeah, so it comes back a little bit to the story about my dad, actually. And, and there's two parts to this. The first part, again, I'll be succinct, is I had, I think, in that first sort of part of my career, before I started doing what I'm doing now, I had effectively a lot of success, certainly commercial success, financial success, what would be um, called achievement if you were looking from the outside in. But I wasn't overly fulfilled. So it felt like I was I was amassing certain material things with no real connection to anything that had a greater part behind it. And when I went to the Tony Robbins event, I understood exactly what was going on, but I didn't understand it beforehand. And and he explains it by saying that if if you have just high achievements, you know, you will always feel this sense of loss or incompleteness. Whereas if you have a balance between achievement and fulfillment, that's where you'll start to feel like you know you're you've got a greater purpose behind what you're doing. Equally, if you're just fulfillment, you're not going to have enough money to do what you want anyway. So it's the balance between all of that. So the, the the thing for me was I need to change my mindset, my my belief system around how can how can I help others? And there was a really famous Zig Ziglar quote which I love, which is if you help enough people get what they want in life, you will have everything you want and need in life. So there is an intent that if I help people get what they want. I may not get something directly back from that one individual. Highly unlikely that's ever going to happen. But the point is I'm putting enough value out into the world mm-hmm. that whatever I need in different ways will come back. You know, it's kind of like a law of reciprocity. Yeah. And that and that is what I've found to be true. It's about making a bigger impact. Mm-hmm. That drives a lot of what I'm doing day to day, the decisions I need to make, et cetera, et cetera, because there's a greater pull towards that which inspires me more than just, say, making money. We've got uh, just a quick fire round for you now, Nick. A few questions, and um, you know, this is just, just whatever comes into your head. So do you prefer marathons or ultramarathons? Oh, ultramarathons. They're much easier. So what's the biggest change you've seen in marketing transformation over the last few years? Absolutely, the, the growth and the power of social media. And what's top of your reading list at the moment? Oh, okay. So right now I'm reading a book by a guy called Dave Asprey, which has just come out and I've got it here. 
and it's called Fast This Way. And it's all about intermittent fasting and um, how that can increase your energy levels and productivity. What's your biggest marketing regret? Oh, that's a good one. I'll try and keep this quick fire. You know what? It's probably when I used to work back in the magazine days with Chris, not being brave enough to make big enough decisions because I was you know, thinking about my job. So I, I think about that in... In, in sort of context, I, I could see the transition away from promotional activity in magazines. We were sticking all these crazy plastic things on on covers of magazines. <laughs> Chris knows all about this. And and I could see that building communities around those brands was something that we should have been doing sooner. And now, obviously, that's proven to be true. Yeah. I, I, I saw that much earlier than what I activated because I was probably too scared to really challenge what everyone else was saying. What's the most important element of a sales and marketing strategy, if you have to choose one? being 100% crystal clear on the person that you want to help. Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Nick. Cool. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. Well, without further ado, have a great week across the pond. So if you're an entrepreneur, rising star or CMO looking for new ideas, find us at marketingtransform.com and on Spotify, Apple, Google and all good podcast platforms.